0: Welcome back to Diamond Kind, the podcast that celebrates kindness under pressure. I'm your host, Brent, and this is part two of our interview featuring the renowned running coach, Sean Williams. We all have pressure in our lives and pressure makes diamonds, and yet in the heat of a moment that pressure can lead to various ways that we handle a situation Either aggressively or bringing out some degree of kindness, and that's what Diamond Kind is about. And and I think I'd just like to touch on too, Sean. And uh, you know, you're you're obviously a very humble person, but and who's achieved, you know, remarkable success as a coach um, with athletes like Ben um, St Lawrence and Victoria Mitchell. Uh, Would you be able to tell us about some of your, I guess, proudest coaching moments?
1: Oh, absolutely! Look, um, uh, look. I think look, people like Ben and Victoria, you know, they've done very well. Ben had his own challenges, uh, but the bottom line is that the people like Ben and Victoria were incredibly talented athletes. Who you know, whoever they were with, which, whichever coach they were with, they almost certainly would have made the you know highest levels of the sport one way or the other. Um, but I, I've certainly some of my proudest coaching moments have just been helping people. Uh, every run of the mill people achieve the best that they can with what with what they've been born with, you know. So yeah, I've, I've helped athletes with disabilities. Like there's a a young local guy, um, 100% blind, so it, you know um, it's quite quite a disability there. Who needed a guide runner? I've helped be his actual guide runner in in park runs and races, but also in training where you need the guide rope where you're attached. Um, by the wrist to the other runner and you're kind of trying to run with your arms being in sync, swinging along and he's running with you, you know, helping someone like uh, young Brendan there uh, to to helping, uh, look, another lo- local lady who I've met not long after I've moved down from Sydney. She was trying to start her own little get fit program down mm-hmm. at the local back and I met her down there and she was already, you know, not young. And I found, I, I found out fairly quickly. She was 59 at that point in time. Now she's still with my group and she's, um, she's 66. Anyway, she was carrying a lot of weight at the time and couldn't even jog more than 50 metres before she was just gasping for, for air mm-hmm. and, you know, walking, keel over. And I said, look, I can help you out if you like it. Would you like to join my running group? I'm just starting it out. And she did. And, She's lost a whole pile of weight since then and and is now completing, you know, she's completed up to a half marathon and she's really one of the local runners. She wears the Melbourne uh, Singlet around the local races and she gets involved and has made all this big new friendship group. And, you know, so that kind of person, and I've had so many people like that over the years who... Running has changed their life, not only yeah. physically, yeah. spiritually, even socially and mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. happiness wise and all that sort of thing. You know, it's just open up a new world to them. And I, I do like helping people open up new worlds uh, for them if I can and, and, and bringing running to them, you know, uh, okay. they're bringing the health and the fitness side of things to them as, and happiness to them. But like uh, running encapsulates that to me. And, and in the end it encapsulates that to them too. So it, that sort of thing makes me proud and, and, and another thing I'm very proud of I've helped a few refugees over the years. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they had been have been quite talented runners but as you probably know from hearing about refugees we have, when you when you've got a fairly wealthy western nation like Australia yeah. sometimes they can find it really tough when they arrive on our shores either having to be in a, in a in a setup where they're almost in a prison yeah. um, and, and then when they get out in society, Often they feel like, a, a um, you know, a, a, show, a boat without oars or, yeah, you know, yeah. but they feel very aimless and, and it's such a different world, almost mm-hmm. like a different planet to them when they're in Australia compared to where they were, you know. They might have come from a really poor third-world country or from a war-ridden country and or both.
0: Yeah, but just adjusting. Yeah.
1: African boys adjust and uh, help them find their new life in Australia and help them kick-start their running again. Because yeah. they were runners back then, they mightn't have been for several years due to just the hardships that they. So it helped them get back on their feet again, and not only help them with their running, but also just assimilate into yeah, the local Aussie society a bit more, make friends, and and even help them connect with uh, potential employers, and 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 even even socially, and help you know introduce them to to um to friends and all that sort of thing, you know, so. Oh uh, yeah, that sort of thing I really enjoy doing. Not just purely coaching, but even just the side parts to the coaching as well, where you know you're looking at the whole person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not, not just an athlete. Yeah, you know, they're not just flesh and blood. They're a whole person, and they've got families involved. And it could be anything from them to even helping a kid at school who might be having issues with confidence. It might be a teenager in their mid-teens or late teens, and yeah, they're trying to find their way in life, and then I'll I'll try and use running as a as a tool for them to to gain confidence in life. And even though they might end up an Olympian or a professional runner or even a super competitive club runner, at least it's something that can help them along the way find themselves. So yeah, just so many different people that you can help when you when you're in a coaching role.
0: Awesome, and I guess for the listeners uh, who are runners and or uh, aspiring runners. Uh, yeah. Maybe in three. What would be the top three ways, uh, if you could explain why um, hiring a running coach would be would be beneficial? What are the top three things?
1: I think number one, uh, most running coaches will will provide running groups, so you're going to make connections there uh, with other other people locally uh, within within the sport. So mm-hmm. a good a good running coach will be the facilitator to open up. That that whole commute, the local running community for a person signing them up. Yep. Uh, number two, a, a, a good running coach should write up a training program or a training plan. Different people call them different things, but mm-hmm. should, should write write up some kind of guidelines. Just how tight those guidelines are depends on the coach because every coach has different styles. But there should be some kind of plan in place there it can help prepare that person for some kind of goal or goals it might be a base goal might be a health goal even just a personal time trial type goal over a certain distance yeah. but um they they end up becoming accountable there yeah. to the coach. um and the coach is obviously accountable to the athlete or the runner as well but you, you become a team there mm-hmm. uh to try to achieve that goal as a coach and an athlete or coach and a runner to, to follow that plan. Yeah, so, in, in other words, it, it, they'll, they'll be set on the right, hopefully the right path or a good path, yeah. which they may not otherwise have been able to do themselves. They mightn't have had the knowledge or, or even the motivation to do that. Uh, and thirdly, uh, a, a good coach hopefully will will become a good friend Mm-hmm. Or at least someone who you know they can talk about any of the issues that um are happening happening which could in any way shape or form affects their running and even the rest of their life along the way. They won't have the answers for everything, but there's certainly someone who you know they can bounce ideas off and, and so it's just some with someone there as a bit of a guide along the way as well, someone to to walk the journey with.
0: No, that's awesome, Sean. So there was uh, what connection, and then there was accountability. Yeah. And, uh, and friendship.
1: Yeah, friendship flashed, died yeah. along the way. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, well, it's now time to get into the the, the heart of the podcast, Sean, uh, which is all about kindness under pressure. Mm-hmm. And can you share a personal story or an experience when you were under pressure and managed to come through with, with kindness?
1: Absolutely. Look, uh, what, one of the more challenging times in my life would have been in 2016 where uh, what what happened in Sydney with my coaching? I've I, I mentioned it before, where I, I got into more full time coaching uh, out of the teaching uh, profession there in around 2000, and um, it it was you know, a bit of a punt early on, particularly. As I knew it was going to be a career, so I needed an income coming through, and mm-hmm. I, I was doing—I did it more for the love than anything, and I didn't mind if I had a hit in income compared to teaching, and that's what happened early on. Yeah, but probably after by about 2005, things really started snowballing, and I didn't—it it was never a plan for things to snowball. I was actually quite happy with how things were going numbers-wise, and I didn't want things to get bigger, but somehow organically, the business to cope. Yeah called sweat sydney up in sydney just started getting really big mm. bigger than ben here and i was you know hiring assistant coaches and it's becoming um very much a manager as well as a coach i guess became really big um and i didn't mind that i, I liked it because I, I knew i was able to help even more people mm. and i was able to be a mentor to other coaches as well and employ people and there were a lot of positives to it um so i i, I never it was never a concern to me but what started becoming a concern after about 10 years of it going really well
0: Mm.
1: by about 2014 um was that the competitive side of coaching and business started coming into it i never did it to compete against anybody but that's just what started happening Mm. and next thing i knew um in centennial park in sydney there were other people who were starting to, to set up um you know running groups and whatnot just like I had like just around the corner from me and and people who were who had been coached by me were were literally doing that and a few nasty things were happening in that runners were being poached by me and then they were you know, other people were poaching from other groups and there's a lot of that kind of business going on and I felt like I needed a change after a while I thought I I, I didn't get into it for so this sort of nasty business going mm. on and I thought well you know I know plenty of people down in Melbourne. I always loved the Melbourne running scene. Double checked with my wife to see if she wanted to make a move, and we thought, look, it might be a good idea just to move down to um, down to Melbourne and give that a go for a walk and and and, um, and start some coaching going down there. And I kept employing people up in Sydney to keep that ball rolling, and they end up starting their own coaching businesses eventually, and that was all. That worked out quite well, but it was quite a stressful time, mm-hmm. uh, particularly you know moving. Moving cities, moving family, yeah. all that sort of thing it became. It was quite a stressful time. Anyway, um, I've been coaching a very talented young runner at the time who um ended up running for Australia. His name's Harry Summers, and you mentioned him before. He mm-hmm. ran in the Commonwealth Games. Um, he almost broke Steve Monagetti's record in the City to Surf. Yeah. In that race I mentioned before, he's the second fastest runner there in history, only one second slower than Steve Monteghetti. I think Monteghetti, who you've probably heard of, one of yeah, the Australia's greatest runners, he ran 40.02, I think, there, and Harry ran 40.03. Mm. So Harry was unbelievable, mm. but he had been fighting. Um, he was an alcoholic. He'd been mm-hmm. fighting alcoholism. And uh, to the point where, you know, um, he was very reckless and, and probably had a couple of near-death experiences mm. with this Um just doing silly things like young people can do when there's alcohol involved. You know, I, we don't need to go into to the details there, but no. apart from him nearly dying a few times just through silly things going on, like it really affected his running and the rest of his life, personal relationships and the whole thing, like mm. any can. So I've always been by his side helping him out there. And he, he loved me as a coach. He ended up following me down to Melbourne maybe a couple of months after we moved down here. He came down as well yeah. and started down here and we continued the coach-athlete relationship uh he ended up um being invited and i, I got invited as his coach as well to, to do it i didn't do the marathon he ran the marathon in japan um unfortunately been batting battling the alcohol around that time and i thought it would go you know, it could go either way it could run really well and potentially Get a, an Olympic qualifier, or even a, a qualifier for the World Champs the following year, and or um, you know it might go pear-shaped, and you know, he, he mightn't run too well. Anyway, he wasn't really mentally quite prepared for it that day, and uh, I was on the leading bus with other coaches and media, um, who uh, that the bus tends to go out in front of a lot of those races, like you know maybe 100 meters in front of the lead vehicle, yep. or sometimes it might be just behind the lead pack. We we're in front of them that day, and we saw the runners go through the 2k mark and then the bus sped up ahead a little bit and then next time we saw the runners was about the 5k mark and harry wasn't there he'd been there in the initial check and then on the second check he disappeared from the lead packets. like where's harry has anyone seen harry and i got a bit concerned straight away because that's not long after the start and uh, a i was worried about harry b like the um the race director had forked out plenty of money for both our you know, uh, return journeys and a week's accommodation, food, all that stuff, and appearance money and a whole bunch of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, so the race director was concerned as well because one of his star invited runners wasn't performing like he should have. Anyway, yeah, uh, no yeah. sign of Harry. And um, so I ended up getting off the bus because I thought I'm in the wrong place now. I've got to try and find Harry. I couldn't find him. And one of, our, one of our mutual friends, a Japanese guy who'd lived in Sydney for a few years, who was back in Japan. he travelled about four or five hours on a train to get from one end of Japan to, up to where the race was and to spend the weekend with Harry and I and to cheer him on and uh, contacted him. And we were searching for Harry. It took us probably eight hours until about four in the afternoon to um, finally track him down in a bar not far from the race hotel and he was full as the boot. And... Um, yeah. And uh wasn't it. So things didn't go too well, and it went from bad to worse in that he kept drinking on the plane on the way back. And we we lost sight of Harry overnight, uh, and then he we found out that he'd taken a friend's car while very much under the influence of alcohol mm. and nearly died when he when he uh, ploughed into a, into one of those street signs that tell you how many mm. k's it is in different suburbs and towns, yeah. you know, the big iron yeah. bar. Yeah. Yep. crashed into one of those iron bars, and it cut the car in half, but mm. luckily it didn't cut the car right where Harry was. It was, like, right in the middle of the car, basically yeah. not on the right where you're driving. Mm. So the car was a ride off the police. We found out through the police where he Harry was, and we picked up Harry, who was still drunk. Then we had to go and take Harry to, you know, check the car out at the records, and he, he pretty well passed out when he saw the car. He freaked out. And uh, yeah, so I stood by Harry during that time mm. and got involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and and helped set him on the path. From there, he ended up looking for a change. After then, looking for another coach and did well for a while, but ended up he still been doing other things in life and he moved back up to Sydney and is jogging around at the moment. Maybe thinking about um, getting back into serious competitive running again, but okay. I, that that sort of thing, you know, I, I, you, you can't you can't ignore kindness and you can't let mm. things you can't become too selfish when you've got your own challenges you're still got to open the door for people so mm-hmm. that, that that was a you know um even i, I think the, the main kindness was probably letting harry go when he said he wanted to go to another Different coach, coach. Uh, yeah. a mutual friend of ours in melbourne lived on the other side of town but mm-hmm. once he started going through the alcoholic alcoholics anonymous process one of the things that they like them to do i believe is to, to to make a few changes in yeah. your life one of them and just start afresh and do something new and you know i had to let go uh you know because he was a bit like a son to me yeah. and and just let steve do all the all the work there and still be good friends with steve and harry and all that so it was like a, a mutual happy yeah name, you know so uh, you can't hold grudges, and you have to continually be kind and, and offer support and friendship where No, we're a, right? no yeah.
0: thanks for sharing that story. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that, no Sean. And uh, yeah, I've got no, am not surprised, but you know, with the type of uh, the character that you have, so yeah, no, that's a that's a great story. Um, before we Sorry. wrap up, Sean, I'd just like to touch on an exciting event that we've uh, uh, got going on the. Uh, Sunday, third of December, which is our E fifteen Energy Run, the fun run, yep. and uh, which uh, yeah, we're excited that you're going to be involved with it as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, my Melbourne Pack running group are uh, only just down the road from the trail where you're, you're hoping to do it there around the Patterson River Loop.
0: Yeah,
1: all around that Patterson River Bond Beach part of Melbourne there. Yeah, in the uh, Bayside Melbourne, beautiful almost dead flat uh, and dead even gravel trail. So a very easy course. Just yeah. a couple of bumps to get over there, a little um, bridge climb, only a hundred metre uh, gradual path to get up over the bridge at the Nepean Highway and back down the other side, and then an even smaller climb to get up over the bridge uh, on, the, on the eastern side of the, the river. Yeah. Uh, down as you're heading towards the Dandenong Creek. Uh, so a very easy course overall. Yeah. Uh, um, and it sounds like it'll be a fun event to be part of. Yeah, so uh, events would would be imagine a one lapper and a two lapper. One lap's just under six k, so you know, call it six k. Yeah. Uh, it starts a couple of hundred meters back from the finish, or yeah. just call call it six k anyway. If it won't be accurate, we could work on that. And otherwise, and otherwise, the two lapper. Yeah, uh, there had been had been a fun run there in the past, but the organisers, I think, COVID kind of got in the way mm-hmm. um, of that. So it has been an event which has been supported by local runners and community in the past on yeah. that kind of course, and I can see it going really well um, uh, via your organisation. So
0: yeah.
1: I think it'll it'll be quite a success, and you know I, we've got our running group with quite a reasonable membership, and we do know other coaches and other clubs and groups in the area too. So hopefully we can get the word out there and get plenty of people on board on, on December 3.
0: Yeah, no, we're excited. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for being part of it as well. And thanks. Uh, it's no been worries. an ab- absolute pleasure having you on the, the uh, Diamond Kind podcast today. Uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom and experience with us. It's been awesome.
1: Oh, you're more than welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
0: That concludes another episode of Diamond Kind where we celebrate the extraordinary moments of kindness that shine through when the pressure is on. Join us next time for more inspiring stories. Until then, stay kind, stay compassionate, and as Rihanna sings, shine bright like a diamond.